Welcome, fellow traveler. You are now listening to the Tent Theology Podcast. Each week, we have a tent talk where we pursue the renewing of the Christian social and political imagination. My guests on the podcast today are Pete Enns and Jared Bias, hosts of the Bible for Normal People podcast. Pete Enns is a biblical scholar and a popular writer known for such books as The Bible Tells Me So, Why Defending Scripture Has Made Us Unable to Read It, The Sin of Certainty, and Genesis for Normal People. Jared is also a Bible scholar. His new book, Love Matters More, How Fighting to be Right Keeps Us from Loving Like Jesus, is newly published and out in shops now. I really enjoyed talking to these two, and it was great fun, as you will hear. Right, on with the show. We just asked people to, to talk a bit more explicitly about politics in a way that they might be trained not to or, or feel like they have to avoid. But we're not really just looking at party politics. We're also really interested in like the power, power, how, how you use your power, how, how the Bible has... Um, I'm kind of interested in how you guys were the sort of cultures you were born into and how you thought the Bible influenced your political imagination and then what's changed and how, and how your views have changed or re, how you've reimagined your views. So we are talking about national politics, but we are also talking about groups and group dynamics and what happens, how is the Bible being used and abused in, inside like interpersonal politics as well. So it's those kinds of issues that I'd love to chat with you about if you're up for that. Um, I'm aware, Pete, that you, I mean, organizational politics and the Bible is like a big part of your story and like what happens yeah. when you, and so <laughs> I, I, I would love to talk with you about that, but I'm also aware that maybe. Oh, are... no, I don't care. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, great. Let's yeah, go no, for it. Nothing's off the table. Here. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, there you go, guys. Is that something you're, you're happy to chat about? And also I, I've noticed through your, um, uh, uh, various offerings on, on public, on social media, that the kind of idea of deconstruction is becoming a big thing that you're talking about and, and thinking about. And I, and I have actually sort of avoided it a bit on my podcast, just because it's like, a, I feel like I don't know what else I would say The other people are talking about it better than I would. Mm. So I, and I think you guys are probably one of those people. So I would love to, to find out about what you're thinking about this, this turn to deconstruction that seems to be in the, the zeitgeist these days. Mm-hmm. So Pete and Jared Bias, uh, welcome to the program. Welcome to Tent Theology. It's a Thank you. joy to have you here. Yeah, it's great. Now, uh, you are calling in from a basement bunker in, where is that, did you say? <laughs> North Philadelphia. Yeah. In North Philadelphia. Yeah. Are you sheltering? for? Is this, is this a shelter that I'm looking at behind me? Sort of. It's just cheap. That's the main thing. You know, we say some provocative things. So, you know, we got to be safe down yeah. here. We don't know what's coming our yeah. way. So. People are lobbing bombs at you. And there's <laughs> nothing like the sound of water running through a system when you're in the middle of a podcast. So that's that always yeah. adds yeah. a bit of authenticity. The listeners can't see it, but, but uh, you know, some water Steven, pipes. you and Sean, you can see that pipe back there. Yeah. There's some kind of pretty heavy industrial grade pipes going on behind you. It yeah. looks a bit like the Star Wars trash compactor. So. Yeah. Well, this is probably a 19th century building. I would imagine. Yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's it's old. It's brick, but there's a lot of stone here. So it's it's pretty cool. Now, is this is this radio bunker? Is this a result of lockdown? Is this something that you built sort of in the lockdown era? 
No, this is the studio we use to record all of our podcasts at the Bible okay. for Normal People and, and uh, record our afterwards and all kinds of stuff. So, yep, this is where we have our setup. We didn't build it. Yeah, no, we, we uh, a, a gracious set of friends have it uh, for our use. Yeah. So. Okay. I, yeah. I'm interested. How has the, how has the whole lockdown moment uh, changed the way that you do things? I don't Not think really. at all. I don't <laughs> really? think at all. Yeah. No, Pete it's... and I were pretty careful in terms of our us personally. So we've been able to just still get together and record mm -hmm. our stuff. And mm -hmm. most of our guests don't live in Philadelphia, so they're not local anyway. So we had a system down already to send out recorders and all that yeah. jazz. Yeah. We're what both vaccinated the... too. So yeah. So you're able to be in the same room together and you're, you're mm -hmm. not worried about that? Well, let's just say it's as difficult as it always is to be in the same room together. Right. So <laughs> Uh, Pete, what was the genesis of the Bible for Normal People podcast? Who? Well, maybe I'm asking the wrong person. Who? Who was? Who you sort of are asking the, the wrong eye? person uh, yeah. because well, the story goes like this. This is the, this is the story the way I tell it. One day, Jared calls me and he goes, "Pete, on a scale of one to five, how much would you hate doing a podcast?" And I'd say, "Well, do I have to do anything? You know, technological. I just didn't want to do any of the behind. I didn't want to learn a new skill set." Right. I just I don't want to do that. I love talking to people, but that's it. So we just said, well, you know, Jared goes, well, I'll take care of that. And, you know, as it's grown over the years, we have a lot of people helping us with the production side and things like that. So so it started that way. And, um, you know, how four years ago, Jared, four and a half years ago. Now? Yeah, I'm trying mm -hmm. to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So four and a half years ago, which it seems longer in a sense yeah. it's just like we've been doing this forever but it's and i mean that in a good way not a bad the only way, thing but, i would add to that yeah. story is the genesis although i think of our collaboration on bringing good scholarship to everyday people goes back to the book genesis for normal people which mm -hmm. we're coming up on 10 years that that was published that, yeah. um and so that was actually the beginning i think of the idea that pete and i connected over which was hey we both love kind of have it in our bones to teach everyday people and we both love and nerd out on scholarship. And so how do we bring these together? And and so Genesis for Normal People was born. And then when the podcast came along, it was like, well, that's a no-brainer in terms of naming it the Bible right. for normal people. Right. So And there weren't many podcasts around four and a half years ago. So we thought we'd just get on the ground floor. You know, we were like the first or second podcast in America, I think. <laughs> yeah. Or were you lying to me, Jared, just to get me to do this? Yeah, yeah. All right. I was totally lying. Okay. Yeah, I made, I made that cool. up. Now I know. I said, you just get on the, it's like Bitcoin, you know, you just get on the ground floor <laughs> of this thing and we'll be huge. So, Well, you kind of are huge, I think. I mean, it's, it has become, I, has it come to the point where now Pete and Jared, you are podcasters who write books or do you still think of yourselves as authors who podcast? That's a good, that's a good question. I mean, I think probably I, I try to track with how people refer to us like online and uh, because I'm the sidekick. So I'm always paying attention to like how many of them are saying Pete's great and then not even mentioning me. And then <laughs> how often it's trending up to, I, I love Steve their... asked that question though, Jared, you're on like a therapy <laughs> thing now. And, and that wasn't even the question. So I, I, all I have to say is the more we're known for the podcast, the more I get to be. Jared, included. show me on this doll where Pete hurt you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. Pete, you would probably, you're still an author. I mean, I think you're, yeah, I guess, you're known I mean, we're, what we're trying to say too, is that, you know, the Bible for normal people is more than a podcast. Right. We do a lot of stuff. We, you know, Jared and I, we write books. We have, um, you know, a website that's very active. We have a Slack group through uh, Patreon mm -hmm. and other things through Patreon yeah, too. And courses. It's, it's a community that we're trying to build. And part of that yeah. community building effort is the podcast where more people who might 
really want to hear what we have to say because of the nature of, of what we talk about, uh, they can get to hear that, you know, and, and that's the way you communicate nowadays. It used to be websites, but it's not anymore, right? Well, it's, and we, it's and, podcasts. And we want it to be yeah. bigger than me and Pete, because again, we have a lot of friends in the state of, of our economy in, in higher education who have PhDs are brilliant and, and they don't have any place to teach. There's not, there's no jobs. Mm -hmm. And the people that we are attracted to are the people who are really good at communicating to everyday people and breaking these things down. And you know, when they did teach, their students loved them. And so we want to be able to give those people a platform too, because I think there's a lot of hungry people who want to know what scholarship mm -hmm. has to say about the Bible, and they don't have access to that. And you started this about four years ago, you said? Yeah, we're in season five. Season five. Yep. Because so it's 2017. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it. Uh, here's, here's where I shamelessly plug myself. I started a thing about four or five years ago called Tent Theology, which has almost exactly the same vision that you guys, that you just talked about, Jared, which is I was aware there was a whole lot of really good uh, PhD professor uh, level content just kind of locked away in the universities. And I knew there were people just really anxious to have different audience and get it out to different types of people. And I started Tent Theology, which was my venture for opening up theology spaces inside other places outside of academia that's great i never heard of it i have to check it out yeah well i'll have to send you some information about it <laughs> and who are you so i'll uh so jared do you want a job come over <laughs> no but so tell me like what's changed what's different now that you have these learning communities through bible for normal people what's different from 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 the university life from the academic life what well, have you well, what have yeah. you gained what have you lost um, I'm not sure what I, I, what I've lost is maybe free time, you know, cause it's, it's, I sort of have two jobs, you know, and, and neither job is 40 hours a week, but during different times of the year, it can be sort of hectic, but, um, you know, I think I really enjoy communicating to, you know, what we call normal people, you know, I, that's always a plus for me. And you know, there's the academic side you know, being connected to an institution like like I'm Eastern University, which is uh, outside of Philadelphia is, you know, for me, wonderful, too, because, you know, I love teaching young people, you know, they're see, they're normal people, too. Yeah, right. They're yeah. 18 yeah. or 19, 20, you know, so so it's I'm not my teaching there is not, you know, like what I had before been sort of advising doctoral students or something. I don't, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. So, you know, I think they sort of they feed off of each other. Actually, they're not separate worlds. They're, they have overlapping kinds of concerns. It's just one has a lot more paperwork and grading. It kills your soul, Pete. Oh. Papers. <laughs> there was a year I marked 600 essays a year for about for about two or three years going well why did you do that that's crazy money, money. oh right i forgot <laughs> and that, did you and actually read them did you uh, actually read them yeah you didn't read them closely and you didn't remember yeah. them three minutes after you looked at it right right i felt i felt like a moral responsibility to to, to take them seriously sure and, and yeah. it was many many times when i thought i'm reading this closer than even the person who wrote it i'm spending more time on this than probably the person <laughs> oh right yeah that's yeah and you can tell that within a few sentences yeah so. yeah but it killed my soul because it, it, it did also make me it was a real catalyst for starting tent theology actually because i just thought uh writing essays is not the beginning and the end of theological formation and education and yet it has become basically the only metric by which we do any of this stuff and there's something broken about this do you even like the university as a home for theology like do what do you see 
where do you see the future for biblical studies outside of the academy? Good. That's a good question, too. I mean, I think within, you know, there's Eastern is a university, but functionally, it's a small college. So we have maybe 13, 14, 1500 uh, undergraduate students, which is a very small community, which is a different kind of teaching. And plus, you know, it's a Christian setting, which can be great or not. It just depends, you know, and the, the joke in our department is that the great thing about teaching at Eastern is that the students really care about the Bible. The bad thing about teaching at Eastern is that the students really care about the Bible, right? But you have already a built-in dialogue, right? So people have an investment in it, and I'm not trying to convince people to read, you know, the Bible, let's say, from a purely literary point of view, so you can be engaged with Western culture. I think that has its place, but that's a lot less interesting to me than, you know, teaching young people who are actually on a journey themselves and sort of engaging with them, which is where the overlap is with the Bible for normal people. It's, it's, it's a very similar kind of thing, just with, you know, seasoned adults who have really thought about things and have life experiences and, but are looking for different ways of looking at the same old thing. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say, you know, I've lost anything. I think it's just sometimes, tough and uh there are aspects of both jobs i wish i could just hand off to other people but i'm lazy yeah. do you feel uh, uh both of you who've had a foot in the um institutional world uh teaching the bible and as you just said pete like part of the problem is sometimes people care about it um a lot which can then get you in trouble because you're, there's <laughs> an academic freedom or there's a an uh, intellectual freedom which you're then you're sort of anchored to the legacy institution that you're part of have you yeah. have you do you still get in trouble for teaching the bible um not institutionally yeah right. not institutionally um because eastern is a different kind of place uh it, it has a it has a long history i mean it dates back to 1925 where the charter of the school um in their statement of faith they decided not to engage two hot button issues, evolution and inerrancy. This is 1925. Everybody's talking about that. They made a decision basically not to fight culture wars. And that's part of the DNA, which is where, you know, people like me can survive and actually thrive at an institution like that. You know, in, in the United States, there aren't many Christian colleges that have like evangelical roots, you know, and, and not sort of mainline where, um, which are fine, but you know, the, the emphasis on Christian pedagogy might not be as strong in some of those institutions than, than the, the more evangelical-ish ones. You know, among those kinds of colleges, there aren't many like Eastern. I'm not trying to like plug Eastern here. It's just, you know, I can't teach everywhere. That's the thing. If I want to teach in a Christian context, I have limited options. You know, I really do. And I, I'm fine with that. So, well, a lot of these people or their parents, they don't really want you to teach the bible <laughs> some do start, well as soon as you start teaching the bible you get in trouble well you have to teach it right <laughs> yeah and and the thing is you teach it to keep them to keep the students as good citizens of their church rather than curiosity and learning an academic discipline see that's the thing you know it is bible and theology they're all they're academic disciplines and we have an obligation to teach our students what those conversations are and transferring to the Bible for normal people, you know, we're dealing with people who also benefit from looking at these broader conversations to sort of breathe some life back into them because they're sick and tired of the Bible. 
They're sick and tired of Christianity, sick and tired of Jesus, everything else, because they're carrying around something that um, is very limiting, actually, and how they think about these big questions. Do you know, we haven't, I don't talk about deconstruction very much in, in my, on the 10th Theology podcast, but can we talk about that a bit? So is this, is this the deconstruction moment that you're talking about, Pete? The, the people coming to you who are, who are tired, is that what's at the root of deconstruction? People who are tired of it? Or people who are seeing it's not working? Yes. I feel like, it, I, I use it like gas has come out of the tank. They're just coasting on fumes now and they've come to the end of the tank. One thing I think Pete and I both often emphasize when we when we enter into the conversation of deconstruction, you know, one, of course, I always want to go to the philosophical side and say, I want to be the nerdy person who's like raising their hands and talking about the structure of deconstruction. Come on, let's do it. I'll, you're not wearing glasses. I'll push my glasses up for you. There well, you go, Jack. Actually, uh, <laughs> I think you'll find. So, so I don't want to do Have that. Have you read? Because I, I don't want to. Let's do it, Jared. Come on, let's let's dive into the nerd. Well, defense. okay. Before we go there, because I, I did, you know, talking about the structures of deconstruction in terms of Derrida and and post-structuralism and and, and having it be a literary or a, a linguistic movement in some ways. I think it's important that when we're talking to everyday people about deconstruction and the people who are sort of opposed to the idea of deconstruction, it's recognizing that deconstruction is within the structures of the text or of the institution itself. It's actually just acknowledging and observing the limited nature of all of these things, that everything has a pora or holes in it. And when you have a structured belief system that is built on eradicating all the holes, and yet we are human, and so they will always be built in. It, I don't. I don't think it's fair to to. I know people like to own deconstruction as a personal thing, but I think it's just as important that we recognize that it's mirrored in the very thing we're talking about. It's mirrored in the Bible. It's mirrored in Christianity as an institution. It's mirrored in the church, and so in some ways it's a passive. And I think Derrida would agree here deconstruction sometimes is a passive observation. It's really a pointing to a thing and saying, aha, have you noticed this? Or, oh, crap. <laughs> when you, you read, this? you know, and, and Derrida did this with all these texts where he's reading these texts very closely. I'd say Foucault does a similar thing, reading these cultural texts and pointing out things. And I think deconstruction in a lot of ways is just doing that with the Bible. It's pointing to Genesis and saying, have you noticed there's two creation stories here? Have you noticed that they use different words for God in these? Have you noticed these themes between different traditions? And so I think that's important because I think people point at deconstructionists like you're you're doing this, like you are going through, right? So in my tradition, that's called backsliding. That's just called losing your faith. And it's something that you did because you wanted to go have orgies on the corner or something. You know, you wanted to sin in some great way. Corner and orgies are the best kind of orgy. Of course. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly, you know, that's why they have so many CVSs on these corners. It's, yeah. so we got to we got to house it in a safe place here. Um, so I think that's just an important point to make because it, it's for a lot of us, I will include myself in this deconstruction was a result of paying attention. It wasn't something that we were actually pursuing. No, it was a result, Jared, of you not guarding your heart and your mind <laughs> right. and letting all the bad stuff mm -hmm. come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was the it was education that lost your faith, Jared. That's what it was. If you hadn't listened to the university, which had a secular agenda. 
Exactly. Exactly. But yeah. so now this is something us us pointy-headed academics are well aware of. Like every time a first-year undergraduate comes into one of our classes, we 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 see this happening. We know this is going to happen, and it's sort of a tale as old as time. But in the last few years, there's been an explosion. I feel like, and I don't. I, I, I you're closer to the deconstruction zeitgeist than I am, I guess. But I think it's related to politics. I don't think it's people reading Derrida and Foucault that are all of a sudden starting all these deconstruction podcasts. And people aren't reading Derrida. How dare you? Don't you think it's, isn't it more back in the kind of people are morally disgusted by something? I would, if we're going to talk about politics, I would actually, though, first, I would want that basket to be a little bigger. Okay. Because I think you have this dynamic. I'm just, I'm just processing out loud right now, but I think you have this dynamic where in the old, we'll call it the old days, you go get your education but then you go back to your home church, your home place, and now you have all this peer pressure to kind of fit back in and to – you kind of forget that. You put it on the back burner. We've had a lot of people say that. of like, well, yeah, I learned this stuff when I was 18, 19, and then I just went back and started living life and you know, went back to my church and all that. That becomes untenable as a, as a process once we start dealing with the psychology, the sociology, and the morality of the church as an institution – because now I can't go back without seeing patriarchy and misogyny and racism. And now, now we have a problem. Um, so I think, I do think a lot of people still start in one place or the other, but now we have this mutually reinforcing uh, process or pattern where I can't just escape. I can't see racism and say, yeah, but if I go to the Bible, it'll give me the facts. That doesn't work anymore. Or it can't go the other way of saying, yeah, I learned all this uncertainty about the Bible, but I can rest in my church, which is this loving, you know, great welcoming place. It's like now that both these foundations are rattled, now we're in a place of of having no place to rest our head, so to speak. Is the Bible, uh, is it a comfortable bolt hole? I mean, is it is it the source? Is it the the charm or the challenge of for the deconstructionist? <laughs> yes i think it depends <laughs> right? on where people are coming from depends on where they are along the path but i think you know it i think the deconstruction for a lot of people happens because they're like jared was saying they're noticing the bible doesn't behave itself not not the way they were told it was so the bible becomes the problem and of course you know when you're taught that the Bible's perfect because it's quote God's word and every word is exactly the way God wants it to be. Of course, we don't have the original languages, but that's besides the point, you know, um, if, if that's how you're raised, then any sort of a tick in that is a major challenge that can plummet you pretty quickly. So I think it's largely, at least in our culture, it's a challenge. Um, I can imagine other places it's suffering that can begin the like in the bible you know it's the, the crises in the bible weren't gee, we're not sure if the bible is the word of god they didn't have a bible right their crisis was where's god when you need him you know so i i think people can have different precipitating things and and that that cause the um the dis-ease you know the unrest the deconstruction i i just want to make sure and give a shout out though to to i think the courageous the courageous stance of folks like Rachel Held Evans, because something you said, Pete, is important, is when you notice 
a lot of people notice these things in the Bible when they're younger and they're taught to not see them because the Bible is perfect. Mm -hmm. And you're sort of told, okay, well, so you notice this, but the Bible's perfect. Are you saying the Bible's wrong? And you're sort of shamed into stuffing those voices. And then I feel like another precipitous thing in terms of the mass quantities of people talking about this is someone like Rachel saying, listen, you can be a Christian and still have all these questions and still have all these doubts. And you know what? You're not alone in noticing these things. Mm -hmm. And that gave people, I think, a courage to finally say, listen, I don't have to just be quiet anymore when I notice these things. Let's talk about them. Um, And I think there's a kind of a collective courage in the face of authority figures, to be honest, pastors, parents Mm -hmm. who want to shush you about that. Because to Pete's point, you know, tongue in cheek earlier, the way you avoid it is we just don't talk about it. Like, don't don't bring it up. Don't learn new things. Well, I have noticed that I don't even know what we're going to call ourselves because I don't like some of these labels. But the people that might be labeled as, I don't know, progressive Christians or liberals or whatever that we might be labeled by our opponents are the ones talking about the Bible a lot. They're the ones really enthusiastically talking about the Bible. Shane Claiborne is, I mean, the only reason he's doing what he does is because it says so in the Bible, right? This is not a reaction against the Bible, but also, and on the other hand, I'm thinking of my, the kind of conservative patriotic type cult, evangelical cultures that we all know. I think the Bible could disappear tomorrow from those churches and life would continue as normal for them. Like there's not, you know, a lot of the things that they really love and care about aren't in the Bible anyway. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there is a plan of attack that the Bible comes in as sort of like a supporting character now and then, right? Now, I imagine they would say the same thing about progressives, and I think it's actually true sometimes of progressives as well when, again, not to make people angry or not, whatever, it's fine. But, you know, things like, you know, I, I believe America should be open to immigrants and for, for refugees. I, I don't I don't think we should be closing our doors. But, you know, if that's a, a position we have, I, I sometimes see the Bible being brought into that in ways that um, don't work, quite frankly. They just, or they work in a highly midrashic kind of sense, like a very creative, which is fine. See, but if we acknowledge it was, this is just creative interpretation. This is not what the story of Jesus's birth is about. This is not what the Exodus is about, et cetera. So, um, you know, Jesus was a refugee, that kind of thing. He wasn't a refugee. He was a pilgrim, <laughs> you know, and he had a home state. He wasn't kicked out of it, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so I think, you know, that it can work for both sides is what I'm saying. And I think everyone needs to be careful not to do that. But Having said that, I, your point is still well taken that I sometimes feel like in the charged dialogues of, 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 you know, Christian America, the Bible is only used, manipulated to further something that people are very committed to. And that's, and, and sometimes to the harm of other people, you know, so I think, I think there, there is something to that. That the idea that you've, we already decide ahead of time what we think is valuable, and then we, we squint and we find a verse or two in the Bible, and then we say that it's based on the Bible, but really it was just based or, on our... Or we think ahead of time, we have concluded this is what God wants, right? Not just what, what we think is valuable. This is actually the mind of God. Pick your favorite political football to kick around here. We don't have to mention them, but, you know, there, there they are. And, and twice in the book of Revelation, it talks about 
God or, or um, you know, the, the, the rider on the horse or whoever it is showing up with a rod of iron. I know a church that says that's a proof text for carrying uh, weapons. They're not far from us. They're up in Bethlehem, actually. I shouldn't say that because I'll probably get attacked. But, you know, it's, you know, that's there. You have that, right? So you, you, that, that's, that's a rampant kind of thing where you already know what God wants. And it's usually mixed with some sort of nationalism. And, and the Bible just goes along for the ride. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Jared and I, you know, with the Bible for normal people, we would rather not do that. And take a step back and see, look at here, fruitful, diverse ways of, of approaching the biblical text, of interpreting and understanding it. That's something that I think people find valuable to find alternate ways of thinking about these things, even if they can't go back to their church or their families and talk about them. I, I think being clear, at least for me, over the course of, of doing the podcast, it's become even clearer. We can't, we can't avoid that. I don't know how we avoid that. That is the, the nature and definition of theology mm-hmm. is creative reinterpretations of right. of the bible and so it's a it's a conundrum and it's a challenge for us as modern christians to figure out how does the bible play into our theology and our ethic and our life that's not a given and so i think it's more about that theological humility to sort of go in with trepidation to say i don't know i mean we we have to be able to reinterpret and reimagine what we do with the Bible. So I think it's, I think my point is it's an unhelpful conversation to ask who's being more faithful to the Bible. Yeah. Cause I don't, I think it's, I don't know how to even answer that question. By what criteria are we judging that? Mm-hmm. So. Oh, how do you see, what is the role of the Bible for, uh, we've identified what, what it isn't. I mean, I, I feel like I've called bullshit on people who claim they're Bible believing Christians and then it really doesn't impact their imagination very much at all but what is the role do you think how does it actually operate in people's lives in believers lives yeah mm. uh, i have to well, i have to run the <laughs> how much time do quick. you have uh, <laughs> <laughs> i gotta reach for my derrida just to hold on a minute yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i and i can i can start in just saying that uh you know for me personally um it it is a it's this it's a source of uh, engaging with people's experiences of God, it is the the language and tradition that shapes how I engage with God and with my community. I don't feel the need. I feel like some people that becomes a toxic environment and it becomes an abusive and unhelpful environment, and they need a new language and a new framework. That's not that's not true for me. I, I'm more interested in wrestling within the tradition, um, being part of the conversation. And continuing the theological enterprise, which is always evolving in terms of how are we going to wrestle this 2,000-year-old text plus 2,000 years of church tradition, which I think is extremely valuable, uh, into the 21st century. Culminating in our podcast. Yeah, right. We're, we're very Hegelian. <laughs> you know, the only God-ordained That's podcast. That's right. We're very Hegelian in that sense. All of history leads yeah, to you, you this just moment. You talked about your podcast, but you're on mine now, mate. So I think I'm That's the right. Pile. And you're welcome. Because your podcast <laughs> led to mine. So I think okay. I'm the top. I'm the tip of the top. That's that's you know good point. Well, we're su- we're we supposed to be a light on a hill. You There's know, we're spreading to the Gentiles here. Um, and so this is a missionary endeavor, Stephen. So you are you're welcome. I appreciate that. I'm awaiting the rapture now. Now that history is complete, I'm just awaiting the rapture. 
we all have we we all think we're the true eschatology. This is the way <laughs> things should be. So, uh, can I add something to what uh, what you asked? What Jared is saying too, just to piggyback a little bit on something Jared said. I think you know when people here's the question I get a lot, Pete. I see what you're doing with the Bible. It's really interesting. I'm following it, but what do we do with it now? Give me an alternate anchor, and my answer to that is usually something like figuring out how the Bible functions in the life of faith is part of the process of doing theology. It's not the thing, it's good to let go of some of the, the, the straitjacket, which the Bible can become, not the Bible, but how the Bible is used, that it can become a straitjacket. Part of, I think, a maturing theology and a maturing faith is realizing that the Bible is part of our engagement of what it means to have, let's say, knowledge of God. And we talk a lot about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, quadrilateral or the Episcopalian three-legged stool, you know, of what are they again? Tradition, reason, scripture, and uh, what's the other? <laughs> You did it in a different order. I know. Reason, uh, reason, tradition. reason, tradition, scripture, and experience. Experience. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah. And those four things are like a matrix that go together rather than a pyramid where the Bible's at the bottom and everything follows from the Bible. It doesn't follow from the Bible. It follows from who's reading the Bible and what's happening culturally. And, you know, the Bible itself bears witness to how views of God and views of Israel uh, change over time, depending on circumstance. To me, that's like one of the most beautiful gifts of the Bible. So any, any way of answering that question, so what is the Bible now? And how does it work? And what do we do with it? That is a great ongoing theological quest that if we can relax a bit and not feel like I can't move until I figure this out, then you're in trouble. But if part of your life is gently, humbly, in community, thoughtfully, based on your own reasoning, yeah, and that, yeah, that's not a bad thing. We, we're people, we reason based on our experience, our tradition, and, and engaging with integrity scripture, right? Though that is, that's a way of even talking about this vehicle of theology that keeps moving forward. And theology, if that's too academic a word, just say faith. Yeah, just that's, working it out. That's good. I, I changed my answer. What he said. You said the same thing. <laughs> and it's just, it is a non-optional. This is something I've, somebody pointed out to me once, but they said like, there's no Christian who, for whom the Bible is not important. Not a single Christian. Like it's a non-optional aspect. It's just a historical fact that this is what we've got and this is the text and we all approach it in different ways. But it's not like you're always going to have it with you, right? It's always going to be some, some kind of distorting or influencing in, uh, right. aspect, right? Non-negotiably so. It's, it's just a non-negotiable, right. non-optional fact Yeah, that we've mm -hmm. got it. And you're either yeah. going to be running away from it or trying to avoid it or trying to learn it, but it, it's always going to be shaping the Christian experience. So Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Again, I, I, I keep my ears open for, for things like this, but I hear plenty of people saying, I hate the Bible. I hear plenty of saying people, I struggle with the Bible. I hear plenty of people saying, I'm just so sick of it. I don't even want to look at it anymore. I don't hear people saying, it's actually irrelevant for thinking Christianly. That, that's the thing. And, and, you know, people can have a hate relationship with the Bible, and they may have very, very good reasons for doing that because of their own life experience. And that's fine. And I'm going to just say, I think the Spirit of God's fine with that, too. What do I know? But that's, that's, my, that's my faith 
compels me to say something like that. But the Bible is always going to be there, and people can come back to it and start almost discovering it afresh. Who, who wrote the book, uh, Reading the Bible Again for the First Time? Was that Borg? Yes, Borg? it was Borg. It was Marcus Borg, yeah, the late Marcus Borg. So yeah, really interesting idea. Just, just, just guys, pull back, unplug for a second, come back at it, look at what you're reading, you know, and in, in, in a very positive sort of encouraging sense. I don't even know how to do that, Pete. I don't, can you could do you guys even know how to read the Bible again for the first time? Yeah, I mean, I I would actually say I think, you know, at least a lot of the advice I give when people ask that question is kind of a two two step process. Um, one, stop reading it right? because, yeah. because you're engaging it in a way you, you have to first shift the framework. You can't just decide one day, oh, I'm going to do it differently. It's like, well, you don't even have a different framework. So you can want that. And then you're just going to go right back to it. Um, so the second thing then for me, this is just my personal story is I stopped reading it. Of course, I was pastoring at the time, so not advisable, um, but I just stopped reading it. And then secondly, I started reading other people who read it differently so that I could figure out, oh, there are people for whom the Bible is a very life-giving thing, and they get energized by it, and they are addressing modern theological and ethical challenges through it. I don't know how to do that, so why don't I just read the people who are? And then after reading a dozen, two dozen of those books, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm starting to understand. And so then I could go back, this is three years later, and start saying, oh, now when I read it, I don't have you know, the John Piper in my head anymore. I have the Will Gaffney and John Levinson and James Kugels in my head. Like, ah, okay. I like that. Who are your guys, Pete? Those are Jared's extra voices. Who who are some of your extra voices that help you see? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I, I get asked that question a lot and I never have a good answer to it because I think, I can't think of somebody that I have you know, like studied under or many people that I've read that I haven't picked up something valuable that I know is seeping into my brain someplace. But there's nothing like having teachers, real live teachers. And for me, you know, in, in graduate school, it was, I mean, Jared mentioned John Levinson and um, James Kugel. James Kugel was my doctoral advisor. So they really, because they were Jewish, really shaped differently, even how I approach reading the Bible. And it was, it was, I mean, they, they just like, I, I, I'm like, really? That's how did you, oh, it is there. I remember having conversations with, uh, with a Jewish classmate of mine and um, we were talking about the garden of Eden. And I mentioned just off the top of my head, you know, the fall of Adam. And he, he was Israeli. He goes, what is that? So I explained to him the fall of Adam. He goes, where'd you get that from? Cause it's not in the text. Well, I said, well, you know, when Satan tempted Eve, he goes, who? Like, that's a, that's a snake. Just read it. It says, you know, so and I knew that, but I just sort of had this Christian reflex, you know, so I think, you know, being in a Jewish context for me was very liberating. Those are the kinds of things, but there are many others, you know, that mm -hmm. I've read over the years that are just like, you know, I keep going back to and um, even too many to count and, and some in biblical studies, some in, you know, spiritual exploration, some in, I've just, I'm sort of a eclectic mess. Agreed. I hate that too, because what I really want to say are people that I would never, whenever I do answer that, sometimes I'm like, but I wouldn't recommend you go read that. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're probably not going to get out of it what I what right, I got out of right, it right. if you do. <laughs> so. What's like, do you have a sense of the kinds of people, uh, what people are needing right now? Because you, you have a lot of, you must have countless emails or requests or you must run across a lot of different people. Do you have a kind of a sense of, of where the Bible is in people's hearts and minds right now or what they want from it? 
judging from the people that contact us, which, you know, I think is a self-limiting kind of population, which is fine, but they're all sort of wanting new paradigms, different ways of looking at it and wanting to be comforted that they're not crazy. I think generally still having a, a soft spot for the Bible, wanting yeah. to have a new paradigm because they want to engage it, but they don't know how. Mm-hmm. Are there a whole lot of people who hate the Bible who are your avid listeners to your podcast? I'd be surprised. I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think so. But, you know, it's it's more of like, a um, you know, breaking up with someone and saying, I'll never speak to another woman again kind of thing, but you will. It's just, it's just, it's more of an intense emotional reaction. And by saying that, I'm not downplaying it. It's probably very necessary and it's been building for a long time. And so you react against something. I've had that in my life too. I've reacted against something. And over time, I've sort of come back to it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. I'm much more, I'm a Kierkegaardian, right? So I'm very kind of extreme in my reaction against Christianized cultures and things. And, and I'm, I'm always impressed by the famous Stanley Harvass quote about saying Americans should have the Bible taken away from them until they realize it's not about them. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Well, there you go. Yeah. Right. And I, but it, it does make me kind of wonder, like, has the, has the pool been pissed in so much that it's very, dif- I mean, I feel like it's very difficult actually to talk about the Bible to, to born and raised Christians in an, in a North American or evangelical context. Like it, it's almost, it's very difficult. Well, to, to Pete's point about the kind of the self-limiting population we have is usually there's some sort of experience that people have had in their life that's a catalyst for seeing it in a different way. And, and, and in that way, I, do, I don't think once you've had one of those experiences, I don't think it's that difficult to go back mm-hmm. because your whole world, you change, you, you, how you've experienced life changes and, and that will change your filtering on a lot of things. And, and maybe not right away, but over time, you start to realize this experience changed me and my trajectory is going now in a different direction. And that's when I think those questions start to come in and new paradigms start to get formed, often through a time of reaction and reactivity and criticism, which I think is, again, as appropriate and as healthy as it needs to be. But I don't think it is. I think without that, I think it's challenging. I think with it, it's less so. And I think that's important. And it's not something that can be manufactured or forced onto people but once they've had it then i feel like it's a pretty easy conversation to have what are some sort of gifts I mean, are there anything that you you wish everyone knew about the bible that you wish north american anglo-american people knew about the bible the people the people who have uh are so familiar with it that they're blind what are some of the treasures that you you'd want to highlight to them i i think the the diversity and contradictory nature of the Bible um, are not negative things, they're very positive things, because we're watching a theological discussion within the Bible itself. But, you know, within the Old Testament, within the New Testament, between, you know, things that Paul says and things that maybe an Old Testament figure would have said or, or, or whatnot, but we're seeing a dialogue, a debate, a disagreement. We're basically seeing people work things out. That is the kind of text that invites you to engage it. Not to be simplistic, but this is more of a, this is one of the things I learned from Jewish professors. The the value of engaging, you know, uh, Jared mentioned Rachel Held Evans, and uh, she had the same experience in um, A Year of Biblical Womanhood. She talks about this, about engaging 
with Jews and learning so much about just different ways of looking at her faith. So I, th I think that's the kind of thing. I mean, it, I could put it very succinctly, get to understand the, the Jewish roots of our own Christian faith and how those kinds of things can be continued even with Gentiles. But things that were largely lost, I'd say really, really submerged in the history of Christianity because of the Gentile and then more philosophical kinds of things that were laid over. See, again, I want to be careful. Not that that's bad. It's not bad at all. But, you know, you, 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 the move from a Jewish apocalyptic text, which is the New Testament, to being of what substance with the Father, you know, begotten, not made. Interesting. I'm not sure if Paul would have known what to do with that, right? And just to sort of say, see, listen, we're, we're, it's not a distortion of that. It's actually a moving and a recontextualizing of a grand story in different contexts. But I, I, I don't think that, you know, you're the average Christian today really appreciates how much things have moved, so to speak. And uh, to get back to those Jewish roots will never eliminate the things that have happened, and it shouldn't. We should still talk about Kierkegaard. We should still talk about deconstruction. It's very relevant to us. But there's something about looking at ancient engagements of Scripture and what we can learn about that that really will put sort of our modern assumptions and modern evangelical assumptions really under a very strong light of interrogation that you can't but help of having to sit back and think through that. I certainly think of my experience or my sort of formation where I grew up or the kind of culture I grew up in, the evangelical culture, that the Bible was a monologue. I mean, it was one one voice speaking <laughs> from Genesis to Revelation, and it was just one one long, loud voice. When it sounds, Pete, like what you're saying is actually it's lots of voices talking over each other, and that's what it is. It's not one big voice. It's actually, a, a, in some ways, it's the opposite on purpose. It's saying this isn't one voice. Yeah. It's like, I mean, people have, this isn't my analogy, but it's like a church where there are different people at different stages and they're all sort of talking, but together it makes something. It makes the body of the church and the biblical books are like that. And Sometimes we're attracted to certain authors at certain times in our lives, and others were like, oh, him again? I got to listen to this thing. I'm so sick and tired of reading about how terrible the kings were in Second Kings, you know, but, but Ecclesiastes speaks to you or Mark speaks to you. And, and I think that that's sort of, that's where the diversity of the Bible is just, I mean, we couldn't survive without it because we can connect with this text, you know, differently. Uh, different people at different times can connect with different things differently. It's not, it's not all or nothing. It's this speaks to me. This is horrible. I don't like this at all. Well, you might see it differently in a few years, but right now that's where I am. And God's not mad at you. Jared, what about you? What if the Bible was on fire and you had to rescue one treasure, what would it be? I think that, I think I would say that, but I, I would have a, a close second, which I keep coming back to. And I think it's probably influenced by just our political moment. And that is, we have in our Bibles a surprising amount of uh, humility and criticism of the of its of the tradition itself, and so I think that's really important that we have in our Bible a very pronounced prophetic tradition that is critiquing the political systems and the social systems of the day, 
and just random things like David is not painted in the best light. These are like in our Bible. Like if I'm writing a Bible to just be propaganda, like I, this would be a horrible text to point to in some ways. Now there's still propaganda, but there's still these other these other parts. And so what that leads for me to do is is creative readings of the Bible where we're not always the oppressed in the stories. Sometimes we're the oppressor. And sometimes we need that feedback. Sometimes, you know, we aren't David, the king. We're David being caught by Nathan's parable about how horrible we are. And I think that's really important as part of our reading, reading of the Bible, because I think that's what keeps power in check when we have these internal controls of feedback and criticism where voices are, that are dissenting are heard and listened to and canonized. I've often said, maybe even on this podcast, but like, because the Bible is non-optional, Christendom has smuggled in to its bosom the ticking time bomb of its own demise, right? <laughs> well put. Yeah, I like that. Like it, can't, it, it, it has to talk about Jesus, and that means it has to talk about the Gospels, which means it has to talk about the mighty will be pulled down and the humble will be lifted up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, right. <laughs> And it has to. Very Kierkegaardian kind of comment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Except for the ticking time bomb. Did they have time bombs? I don't think the they did. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for, for joining us on this conversation. Where can people go to, if they really want to climb to the very top of the, uh, the historical pyramid and get to the top of the evolution of theological thinking? Go on, Pete. Tell <laughs> us where to go. Well, there, there, just come to my house if they want. I was going to say, there's a, there is really no way to access the Holy of Holies, but if you want to be in the outer courts, um, only year, God you ordained. Can, <laughs> you can go to thebibleformnormalpeople.com. That's where we house a lot of our stuff. There's a lot of blogs, I mean, thousands of, of blog posts there, uh, but also uh, access to Patreon, where we have this smaller community that engages regularly. The podcast is hosted there as well, and, and courses and all kinds of stuff. So. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for the work you're doing, and I, I'm looking forward to engaging with it more in the future. But until then, thank you guys. Thanks so much. Go well. Yep. Thanks, Steve. See ya. To further support the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media and learn more about Tenth Theology at www.tenththeology.com. Thank you for joining us, and God bless everyone.